This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Today, our special guest is Tim Boring. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Good. How are you, Bill? Nice to be here. Good. Where are you coming from? Um, physically, I'm in New Jersey, uh, just uh, northern New Jersey, west of New York City. Oh, I grew up on the, uh, I call it the island of Long, and moved <laughs> down to Miami in, um, in 90. I call it the island of Long because I went to school in SUNY Potsdam, way upstate. I don't know if you, there's an area up there called Alexandria Bay, which is like it's a thousand islands between the U.S. and the Canadian oh, border, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, we just went across there. Yeah. Okay, so I'm up in school in like 1988, and I tell somebody I'm from the island, and they're like, "Which island?" <laughs> and I'm asking them, "What do you mean, which island?" And then they explain to me about like those thousand islands. So I just started saying I'm from the island of Long. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right, cool. So Jersey. All right, amazing. Okay. Tim, give everybody like the two-minute spiel on what you're doing today, where you are today and what you're doing today. Um, so I am a senior software engineer at a company called Voltus. I mean, it's what I'm doing for you know, day work. Um, it's a distributed energy company. Um, so we're working on, you know, the, the energy, the clean energy transition um, from like coal power to renewables. So we'll be working that space. Um, I actually work on the infrastructure team. So we're responsible for, you know, the platform for, uh, we run the hashy stack. So we're running Nomad um, and then builds and uh, all that kind of stuff. And in my spare time, um, I've, I'm working on writing a book for Manning. Um, it's called Build an Orchestrator and Go. Okay, a couple of things after that, after hearing that. Is this a private energy company or are they semi-private? Are they working with the... With the local energy or state with this stuff that you're doing? Um, we're actually national, so we work in all of the energy markets. But are you trying to support the, the, the grid, the national grid, or are you trying to are you more consumer based, like with the solar panels that are happening today? So we're we're actually getting it a little bit more into the consumer side as well. because um, this is all starting to kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Converge, I guess. I'm just kind of interested, like, like the solar panel stuff is interesting to me. I, I, know, I know you're not doing solar, but it's interesting to me that I can basically put electricity back on the grid. I don't want to go too deep in this. I was just more curious if you were working with the, the energy, like we have Florida power and light down here, right? So I forgot what is the Con Ed is in the city. Yeah, right. So those are utilities. Um, and we work with, while we do work with utilities, we like our primary thing is how to explain it. So like I said, we're like a distributed energy company, right? And so there's this thing, like we're about five years old, a little bit more than five years old. And so the core business was built up around something called, um, uh, demand response, um, which is the idea that I don't know how much you know about the grid, but basically like the grid always has to be balanced, right? So whatever the output is or whatever the input is, the input has to equal the output. So if consumer, you know, on the, you know, whether it's a business or uh, a house, you know, your house, 
if you're, you know, if everybody's drawing, say, 100 megawatts, there has to be 100 megawatts of output from, you know, power providers. So that always has to be in balance. Um, so the problem is, though, like, you know, they're just there's all, the demand is always, you know, it's not always constant. So one of one way to keep that in balance is to actually ask people to not use as much, you know, to cut consumption. And so that's where demand response comes in. And what we do is um, we provide a way for we work with all of the different um, within each region of the country. Um, there are things called ISOs, which stand for independent system operators. I hope I'm not, but I'm not watching that. Um, but they're basically the they're basically the entities that operate the energy market for you know a region. So for I don't know what it is in Florida, um, but for New York, for example, it's it's the New York ISO. Texas, if you remember last year with the the, um, the issues they had there, that's um, that's all run by ERCOT. And so we work with those those ISOs to um, do demand response, and that's we sign up customers. And they say like, hey, we can, you know, if the if if they need us to like cut 100 megawatts, then yeah, we'll do that. Basically, we we kind of provide the glue to provide, you know, between the market and the end user. So FPNL will lower my bill if I allow them to put devices in the house where they can shut things off on demand, like in the middle of the summer. We're gonna, yeah. So that's what it sounds like. Yes, it's the exact same thing, exact same concept. Okay. All right. Now I got an idea of what that is. Yeah, that's super interesting, right? In fact, I didn't do it because I just don't want somebody. But I think it's probably, it's one of these weird things, right? It's like, I could see how responsible that is. At the same time, I'm not sure I want you doing that in my home, right? So <laughs> I think it makes sense. I mean, yeah, the, the consumer side is kind of interesting from, a, I mean, and I don't work on the business side of things. I mean, I'm in tech, so you know, but it's, it is interesting being around people that, you know, we have a lot of, for example, um, uh, analysts for, you know, energy market analysts, and they're like super sharp and know kind of all the ins and outs and, you know, the intricacies of, of all of these different things. So it is interesting, like just listening um, to people that are very knowledgeable, talk about, um, you know, talk about the industry and kind of what's going on and just all the different options. Also, if you're really interested in it, there's a good book. Actually, there are a bunch of them, but one good book that actually talks about this from a historical perspective is um, The Grid. Um, it's written by um, uh, Gretchen Bach. I think I forget, I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, but it's B-A-A-K-E. Yeah, but it's it's a really good book that kind of does like goes all the way from like Edison in the late 1800s to now. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah, there's too many things going on in this planet at the same time to consume it all. But, but I, I like, I'm happy that you have an understanding of uh, essentially of the business you're working in because I get scared sometimes when I ask a developer what's the what's the problem or the problems your company's trying to solve and they can't answer it, like that starts to scare me. And it sounds like you're on the, you're you're an engineer, but you're kind of on the more of the op side if you're working with Terraform or something like that. Or are you actually building product for them? Um, no, my, the infrastructure teams isn't building product. Um, or I guess if, if you, I mean, I guess technically you could say everything's a product, right? Um, it's just a matter of where the focus is, right? Like, is it internal? You know, is your customer? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we're building the, you know, we build the like platforms that developers use to, you know, build, test and deploy their code. Um, 
you know, we build tooling, um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it is, it's, yeah, it's more, it's more on the operational side. We just, you know, we kind of look, take it, you know, attack the problem from more of like a software engineering perspective, kind of like SRE. Okay, sweet. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Well, we're going to get back to that before we're done here, but I want to now get you into the time machine. I want to kind of bring you back to, to some of the earlier days and kind of um, hear your story to, to how we got here into energy. And so the first question I ask every guest is to kind of think back on the first time you were, I'm going to say in this case, using a computer to solve uh, any sort of problem, not just gaming, right? But like, when was that first time the light bulb came on and you were like, oh my God, I just got this computer to do this thing that I've wanted it to do, right? You try to think of that first memory. Yeah, so I guess depending on how you want to define like do something, um, I, I really wasn't into games. I had an Atari, you know, um, I mean, I grew up kind of the same era that you did. So it's like, you know, I had the Atari, what was it, 2600 or whatever. Um, when did you graduate high school, Tim? I, I like that as a kind of marker for things. 89. 89. I graduated 87. Okay. So we're going to have a two. Okay. 89. So that's like you're 17, 18 and in 89. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wasn't really into heavily into computers. Um, I mean, I was good in like, you know, math and science and stuff. Um, you know, really loved physics. Um, uh, and did some, I remember, I think it was, it was either freshman or sophomore year of high school. I had a math teacher and he ran a computer lab. Um, and I th I'm pretty sure that they were Apple twos, um, or Apple twos. And I remember, you know, doing during that course, we would, um, I can't remember if it was weekly or something, but we would go down and we would work on those and we would write. Um, I mean, I didn't know at the time I was like, you know, 15 or something. It wasn't the thing that was on top of my mind, but it was kind of cool. I remember liking it, but we went down and we wrote some programs in basic um, to do kind of like some kind of just graphics things that were kind of, I mean, in hindsight was pretty trivial, but, um, and then I actually, when I went to college, um, I actually was a. Wait, 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 we're not talking about college yet. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Don't, don't. <laughs> This is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> Come back because you said something to me that was interesting. You said this wasn't on the forefront of my mind at the time. So what was on the forefront of your mind at the time in in high school? Sports. I think I played football and baseball. Uh, well, okay, let me back up. Actually, freshman sophomore year it would have been. Um, actually, didn't start. I didn't come back to sports. I actually um, I raced BMX bikes. That was a big thing back then. Now you were you were growing up in New Jersey. Uh, no, I grew up in Ohio. Um, in Ohio, I've, okay. yeah, I've lived all over the place. But yeah, I grew up in Ohio, and and like BMX racing, not the like freestyle stunt stuff. That was like not really a that was that existed then, but it was kind of like a I don't know. It did. I mean, at least in the circles that I ran in, right? Like it wasn't really that. Really wasn't. So I remember mongoose at the time being like the bike to have if you had a mongoose. You were like the whatever the term is the kids use today. You were like, I'm gonna just say it. You were the shit. Okay, if you showed up with a mongoose, everybody was like, whoa, right? Like I remember that growing up on Long Island. And by that time, actually, that was actually mongoose was like kind of on the downslide. I mean, because there were a bunch of. I mean, I raced from eighty. God, what was it? Eighty-one to eighty-six, um, and then once I got into high school. Um, like freshman, sophomore, I think sophomore year, I played baseball in the spring. And that was when I really, that was when I 
I think I, I stopped racing and then kind of went full on back into sports in the spring. I played baseball and then in the fall I played football. So if I put you on a mongoose right now, could you, could you do the bunny hops? Oh, I probably can. How much myself. air can we get? <laughs> <laughs> Break my neck or something. I tried a couple of years ago. I saw a BMX bike and some, I don't remember where I was. And I'm like, tried to, tried to show off doing a little bunny hop. And I think I got like an inch off the ground, but I was still happy about that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I remember, I mean, there was like back then, you know, there was actually, um, it was kind of funny. Um, there were, you know, there were a lot of families. I mean, it was, it was pretty much a family, like, you know, because kid, you know, if you're like 11, you can't drive to the race yourself. So, um, you know, there were a lot of families and there were actually a lot of parents that actually raced as well. I mean, there were older classes, you know, I remember there being, I don't remember exactly what the categories were, but like, you know, there was like 35 plus, um, you know, group and there would be, you know, so there'd be like dads that were, you know, they would, you know, their sons were there racing, but the dads would race too. Um, that's really interesting. Like I, I never met anybody that was doing that competitively and we weren't racing. We were, we were trying to kill ourselves. I must've knocked the wind out of myself three or four times trying to flip off a ramp and fall backwards, you know, and I would run in the house and my mom would yell, go back outside. You're fine. You know, just <laughs> go outside. Don't okay. Come back so until start. yeah, 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 exactly. Unless, and I remember breaking my wrist one time and my mom told me to go back out and play and I didn't go back out for like an hour. And then she was like, Maybe there's something actually wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so in high school then, you're really more focused on the same things I was back in the late 80s. I was, I was running track. I was playing baseball. I loved that. I wasn't thinking, I at the time wasn't thinking too heavily about college, though I knew I was going to go. And I knew I wanted to study computer science because I had a computer at home and that was where I was spending the other time when I wasn't playing sports, sure, which sure. It ate up a lot of my time. So what was, was sports kind of eating up the majority of your time? And then what were you doing when you weren't on the field? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think it was the majority, it was the majority of my time. Um, i trying to think, I mean, I also worked like I had, I mean, God, I don't know, I think pretty much the whole time that I raced. So maybe, and probably a little bit before that, maybe 10, 11. I mean, I started, I had a paper out. Um, so I delivered the paper for my street um, all the way up until, God, maybe I even during most, I don't think, I think it was all the way until at least in high school. And then I think, and then I, then I had a job at the, one of the local grocery stores. Um, so I, you know, I went to school, um, did practice and stuff afterwards or did games and then, uh, you know, then worked. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to have a paper out because my mom said she's not going to drive me on rainy days and therefore you're not allowed to have one. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, no. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I don't remember what, I mean, I do remember my dad took us around like, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't frequent, but I mean, it did, you know, when the, when the weather was bad, I mean, I do remember that either here or my mom, I think it was most of my dad took us, uh, you know, drugs. But, but it was also in my street, so we didn't have to go that far. Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, so so what's happening then in high school as you're about to graduate? Because I, I remember at the time, the default was pretty much you go into the military or you go to university. There wasn't much of a choice there. I, I imagine it was the same for you. Yeah. No, I was going to college, um, and I wanted to be, um, I actually wanted to go into mechanical engineering. 
Um, that's what I wanted to go to school for because I took, uh, like I said, I, you know, I was in math and science. Um, I also had, we had a, um, at the time they were like, we had pretty strong like Votech programs. And one of those um, was, there was an architectural drafting class and then as well as a, um, like a mechanical drafting class. And I took both of those. And Votech being vocational. Yes, vocational. That was in your high school? Yeah, yeah. In that high school or outside? Inside, inside yeah, high school? No. Okay. Now it did, now we had some of those classes. I mean, I think it was kind of common at the time, at least in the school district I was in, where you'd have, you know, you had like wood shop, you had like, like I said, I had like architectural drafting, architectural drafting and then mechanical drawing were the two classes I took. I remember those classes too. Yeah. I didn't, I, I wasn't into it. But there, but there were also like the, the, the outside like Votech programs that were more involved where it was like, you know, if you, I remember, um, like there was one where you could go and you could do like, um, you know, you could do like learn how to work with CAD and like kind of more professional, like full drafting. trade schools. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Full um, trade schools at night yeah, and all yeah, that good stuff. There, there, were yeah. that. there were those things too. So mechanical, so that makes sense because you loved physics and you loved math. I mean, computers were still fairly new, I meant, right? And so a lot of my friends had the same sort of, they were going to go double E, they were going to do mechanical, they were going to do, I had a friend who went into ceramical engineering, which really ended up not helping because, I mean, how many ceramical engineers, how many jobs are out there for that, right? Like, So I, that makes a lot of sense to me. So w what university did you end up? uh getting into or going to i went to a small liberal arts college um west virginia wesleyan and uh west and buchanan west virginia um so you left ohio and went to west virginia to go to university did you want to just get away from the house was that the goal there or yeah yeah i think yeah i think that was it just kind of you know i grew up i mean i grew up in columbus you know um just wanted to you know see a different part of the world meet different people it was, it was interesting because, um, you know, you think about, I mean, I remember even thinking at the time, it was really weird. It's like, God, you know, this is like central West Virginia, like in the mountains. Um, but there were actually quite, I mean, it was a pretty diverse-ish student population. I mean, we had, you know, international students from, you know, our, we had a really good soccer team. Um, and we had a lot of, so we had a lot of guys from uh, the UK, from Scandinavia, um, uh, those were the two that I remember off the top of my head. Um, you know, we had people from, um, it's the first time I met anybody from New Jersey. Um, we had a pretty strong, like Northeastern contingent, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts. Wow. That's interesting. In West Virginia. I don't, I only been to West Virginia once, did some water skiing and some lake. I don't know, but you wouldn't have thought that there was going to be that sort of international diverse. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like I said, I mean, like when I, you know, when I went there and, Started, you know, when I was visiting colleges, and that was, I think, one of the appeals was just uh, um, the diversity of, like, you know, where people are coming from. Um, you know, my freshman year, the did you know about this university, or did it come in on a mailer? Remember, you used to get all the mailings of these universities, and you're like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I knew about it because of um, because of football. Um, so like, we had a, I had a really good coaching staff that was very helpful in trying to get players um, into colleges. Not just, you know, we had, I mean, we had, I played with several guys that went, you know, division one, had full scholarships, but they weren't, it wasn't just about that. They were trying to, you know, they helped people, you know, even if you did, even if you didn't want to go play sports at college, you know, they, they tried to help, they really tried to help kids get into colleges. Um, 
whatever that you know whatever that meant or whatever it might look like. Um, so that's that's how I came across it. And you you went there to do the mechanical engineering and. Yeah, they didn't really have, they actually didn't have a mechanical engineering program. It was, they had like an, I forget what they called it. Uh, I think it was a pre-engineering degree. So you did all the like pre-engineering, you did more or less all the like kind of prerequisites, like, you know, all the science stuff. Um, and then I think if you wanted to go do, and I, and I did have this kind of thought that it's like, yeah, I wanted to do a master's and then, you, you know, so that kind of sets you up. Like if you wanted to do like a master's in like, you know, mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, whatever I see. So you want to do your general general engineering studies undergraduate, and then your plan was to do something. So, okay. So when you get to when you get to university, and now you're taking this degree, um, are you getting introduced at that point to any sort of computer science and programming, or is it still just hedged down? Yeah. No. No. There was. Yeah. There was that. I also I was really bad at it though, um, and part of it was. Like my, my freshman year, um, I had the first semester as part of that program, uh, you take calculus. And I didn't have pre-calculus. I didn't, for whatever reason, it's kind of just a weird historical quirk, I think. But like somehow I got off track like in seventh grade. And so by the time I got to senior in high school, like I did, I didn't, I was like one, you know, like one year short of like taking pre-calculus. Um, so I think it was what, like it was, was it algebra? Like algebra one, algebra two, trigonometry, or geometry, geometry, trigonometry, and then and then pre-calc, I think it was. And so I didn't. So it's like you know somehow in seventh grade I got off, but because I think it was like you know they sent you home with like some uh, some form. It's like well you know what track do you want to be on? You know what track do you want to be on? Like this this track will go to get put you in pre-calculus and whatever. And it's like you know I was in seventh grade. It's like I, I have no idea like what does this even mean? Um, so. Yeah. So when I got to when I got to calculus the first semester, it was like um, that was kind of like an eye opener and like pretty deflating, um, demoralizing. Um, ended up dropping that. Um, I, I tried to stick with the the program. I mean, I took physics. And I did fine in that. Um, and then uh, ultimately ended up switching switching majors to English and double major in secondary ed um, and thought I wanted to. Wow, when did you do that? I think that was my soft. Yeah, I think it was my sophomore year. Because I think by the end of my first year, I was kind of like, okay, this isn't going to work. Because um, I also had, I think I also, I think it was the second semester where I had this is my this is my first programming class, um, and it was uh, we're doing everything in Fortran, um, and it was so frustrating. Like I couldn't get any. Like I mean, I went through the whole semester and I could not get like a single program or any you know to like compile and like work. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, this is, it was so frustrating. Um, so yeah, I kind of like gave up on that and then kind of switched thinking and actually thought that I wanted to do a PhD in English. Um, and I actually did, I did do a master's and went to grad school. And, uh, so at that point, are you thinking I want to be a professor now, or I want to write the next great American novel or. Yeah, that was the idea. I think there was probably also, there was also the idea of like wanting to write, um, you know, fiction, short fiction, but. Um, I think mo mostly it was about, um, you know, being a being an English professor. Yeah, this is the first time I'm hearing about writing. So was this something that you discovered while you were in university that you felt like you were good at or you enjoyed? Or was there anything back from high school? No, I can't say it was anything like in high school in particular. Um, I think it was mostly a function of just um, in college, you know, being exposed to, um, you know, 
just being exposed to the to the literature um, as part of the you know as part of the coursework. Um, also, just you know, being an English major, it's pretty heavy. You know, it's pretty heavy in writing. You know, there weren't a lot of like, it wasn't a lot of like, um, you know, multiple choice or you know, it was a lot of you know, writing essays, um, writing research papers. Right, but something attracted you to that at some point in university, right? Like, you just kind of gravitated there. It was interesting. I think in part, of, I think in part, it was because of um, I had a professor my freshman year, like the. Um, and I had a I had a professor, um, Dr. John Saunders, and I don't know. I think I was just fascinated. I mean, he like I, yeah, he was just interesting. Um, you know, very you know, I just thought like he was very smart. He was, uh, you know, for the course we did, um, you know, why we we did paper, we wrote papers, but it was all writing about like we were reading fiction, and then writing our papers about you know the stories that we were reading and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I was just fascinated by like. I think it was the first time in my life that I'd met. Well, I guess that, I guess it's not. True. I was gonna say it was the first time in my life where I met like a male, you know, an older like male like figure that was like intellectual. But I guess that's not that's not totally true because I mean I had that in high school. I guess it's just I didn't have the same. Well, there was something about this guy that impressed you, right? And there was something about this guy that you felt like maybe it's cool to go down this track, right? Where before maybe it wasn't cool. This guy just proved to you like, hey, you know, I could do that. I could be this guy. I like this. I'm, I'm, this is interesting. So do you end up graduating with this? Uh, you end up graduating with the, the English mm -hmm. um, degree. And what did you, you had a minor again in? Oh, yeah. Double, well, actually double majored in uh, English, English and secondary ed. Um, I really quickly, I knew by my senior year, I did not, I was not going to do like K through 12. Um, I did my student teaching and that was like, I had to do, I did, it was like, so it was, was it once, no, it wasn't one semester. I think it was like 50 days of actual teaching. It's like 20, I think I did 25 in like seventh grade and 25 in senior, like 12th grade English. Yeah. The seventh grade, the, those 25 days in seventh grade were like the worst of my life. That was awful. No, that, 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 that 13, 14 year old. It was awful. They shouldn't put any, <laughs> no, they should put no educational students with 13 and 14 year olds. My daughter, who's about to graduate with an education degree from, uh, from uh, USF, was in the classroom for a year with these kids, and she said, Dad, I don't want to be a teacher anymore. And then Eric, one of the guys that helped us with the podcast, his wife graduated with the same thing. She did one year in middle school, and she said, I'm done. And went into a boot camp and now as a soft you cannot put new teachers with 13 and 14 they that's the age where they know that they just get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if they get in trouble and they push to there's no consequences at that age right oh my god so i get it i get it right like that's like i can laugh at it now it was not funny at the time it was not a good 25 days but i can laugh at it now yeah you can look back at it now but i yeah, they, they've got to stop putting <laughs> new teachers in those classrooms. <laughs> okay. Or you just know that that's, that's like a gap year, right? That's like, you know, 13, 14, they're not learning anything. You just put them, you know, kind of warehouse them and like, you know, wait till they grow out of that phase and then you can like pick it up from there. It's almost like you have to try to teach these kids, but at the same time you're, you're trying to, uh, I don't know, control them, corral them. I don't know what the words are. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're also, it's like, I mean, I was like 22 myself, right? It's like, it's like, I'm trying to figure out like what, you know, which end is up and then, you know, and then, yeah, you're there with like 14 year olds and it's like, 
I taught 13 and 14 year olds for 10 years. I taught religious education. And after 10 years, I was completely burnt out. But about seven years in, I would tell the kids day one, there's nothing you're going to do to me that I haven't seen already. I know all your games, so bring it, but you're not going to win. And you'd always have the one kid that would try to bring it. And within about three weeks, we would be friends and it would, but I took seven years of, like you almost need a yeah, class in education yeah. to deal with 13 and 14 year olds. They're missing it. Okay. So you graduate university. Um, you, you have your double major. Is your goal still now then to go and to graduate school to? Yeah. Yeah. I went to grad school, um, uh, for English lit and, uh, I stayed in West Virginia. I went to Huntington or, uh, Huntington, uh, Marshall university. Um, so I was there for two years, um, and finished, uh, finished my master's there. Um, and that's when I, I think it was, it was my second year, um, where I realized again, kind of one of these moments where I realized, you know, it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on to a PhD. And that was about, um, that was really about. That's so this is like 1995, right? You finish all this education. Yep. And that was really about money. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of my professors and asking them like, okay, so, and I, I had debt. I mean, I had, um, you know, cause I had, um, you know, my family were like blue collar. We didn't have like money saved up to like go to college. It was all like either I had scholarships or I had loans. Um, so I had student loan debt and I'm in grad school. I remember, I think it was my second year. I asked one of my professors, um, you know, so like, you know, cause I'm thinking forward, right? Like, okay, I've got, you know, this is my last year. What am I going to do after this? Um, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I want to go, maybe I do want to do a PhD. Um, but then I asked one of my professors like, okay, well, so let's say I do my, you know, I finished my PhD, come out, you know, I'm looking for jobs. Like what's like just ballpark. Like, like what can I expect? What can I expect to make like salary wise? And they said, again, this is like 1995 and also in West Virginia. And they were like, well, it'd probably be about like 25,000 a year. And I was like, you know, I started doing it in my head. I'm starting doing the math. And it's like, wow. Okay. That's, that's really like, those numbers don't add up. Like I can't like how am I, you know, I've got, like I said, I've got student loans. I would have rent. I have, you know, feed myself like transportation to wherever, whatever, you know, wherever I would have to go to for work. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this math doesn't add up. Yeah. And that was, you know, that, I mean, again, this was just conversation and it was like ballparking, you know, it wasn't like, a, you know, it wasn't like, oh yes, we're going to hire you at this university. But it was, you know, mainly I was just trying to get a sense of, you know, are we talking, you know, are we talking like $50,000 are we talking $10,000? Um, uh, so then what do you do at that point? You must feel like, uh, you must be feeling like, okay, I just did all this education. I'm, I'm trained in all of this. And now I'm, how do I leverage this in an industry that wants to pay me more? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I mean, there was, I had like a, you know, kind of a moment of irrational thought where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go to Alaska and like work on a fishing boat for a while or something. Um, I didn't actually, I didn't do that. Cause I was like, you know, I did like, I, and there was just a like random thought in my head and I didn't have, like, I had no way to figure out like how to even execute that. But, um, Tim and I, dude, we are so similar because your story is really <laughs> similar to mine. No, but I had this crazy idea to go to Australia and, and, and I sent out God knows how many resumes. I bought this book of companies in Australia and I sent out God knows a hundred or something resumes 
I got nothing back. But if one had said yes, dude, I was on a plane, you know, like, and it was the same thing. Like, I feel you, dude. Like, I feel this 100%. Um, at the same time, I, that's, um, I met my wife um, and we, uh, we ultimately decided to move to New Orleans. From what was in New, New Orleans? You went from West Virginia. You keep moving south. <laughs> yeah, we had, well, she had a friend down there that lived there. Uh, had worked, had moved down there with her husband. Um, and we figured, you know, we were kind of both kind of in a similar situation where we were like, you know, kind of trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's the next step? And then, um, so we thought like, okay, well, let's move somewhere. Um, you know, where would be, you know, I don't think we had like a real plan. Like we were just thinking like, oh, well, where, where would be fun to go? Like we're, you know, I don't know that we thought about it this deeply, but you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're young and like, you know, we don't have really anything tying us down. So where would we want to go? And so we decided on New Orleans. And you're highly educated. You both have these graduate degrees now. Yes, we picked New Orleans because, you know, we at least knew somebody there. Um, so we were there for six months and then we moved back. Um, it was pretty hard to get a job. Um, like she worked at uh, she worked at a bookstore. I worked at a map and print shop, um, which is kind of cool. Um, learned That's where I first learned that uh, that Texas was actually an independent country back in, you know, what was it, 1839 or whatever it was. I think it was the first time I ever knew that. Um, I didn't know yeah, that so, at I mean, all. It was kind of cool learning some like stuff like that, you know, looking at just working around maps and then like seeing kind of how, um, you know, how the, the you know, political geography changes uh, across time. That business doesn't even exist anymore. You know, th those were the, the printing businesses and they're gone. Yeah. I actually should look and see. I, I haven't actually gone back and see if that if that little shop is still there. It'd be interesting if it was. But yeah, then we moved. So we moved around a little bit. Ultimately, we ended up back in West Virginia. And then my wife started a, a writing business. Um, she actually has a degree in journalism, um, undergrad. And um, so she started a business doing like, you know, commercial writing where, we, you know, she was doing, started out doing like, um, you know, writing uh, like annual reports for nonprofits, um, uh, doing like, you know, newsletters and stuff like that. And then, and then I joined and it was, um, like I, I quit my job, um, and then joined that. We did that for two years. So is that like around 96 and 96, you're back in West Virginia? That was 90. Yeah. Well, we got, we came back to West Virginia in 96 and then I think she started that in 98. And I think it was like later in the year, the next year, like, I joined and we worked together on that. Um, and that's where I. What were you doing before you joined the business? So, that, I mean, that's a. Um, I was doing some writing, um, didn't make any money, um, but I was doing like some, I was trying to do like some, like some fiction writing um, and was doing some editing um, of like some small, like literary journals, like that were on at the time. I remember there was like this online, I don't even remember what it was, what the name of it was, but um I was doing editing for this uh, online literary magazine. But then in 98, the both of you decide that, okay, you're both going to focus on this business that your wife started. Yeah. And so we did that for two years. And that's where I got, that's kind of where I, I got into computers, I would say for real. Um, we had a, we had a client that, um, you know, we were focusing on the writing side because we both had backgrounds in writing. Um, but we had this one client that asked us if we could like write, if we could write content for their website. And I remember, you know, I was thinking, well, like, yeah, it's just it's still words it just happens to be digital and not like physically, you know, or, or printed on a page. I mean, why, you know, why wouldn't we be able to do that? 
Um, so we, we did that work and then that turned into um, them asking us like, well, hey, could you like redesign our website for us? Um, and and I, you know, we said, sure. And I kind of dove in and was like, you know, I taught myself HTML, um, a little bit of JavaScript. Um, so let me, let me ask you that. Cause this is like, now you're talking about the year 2000. Well, no, this was, this was 98, 99. Cause by 2000, we were, we were done with it. We were like, okay, this is. So in 98, you're, you have a client asking you about building out a website. Now, did you start having flashbacks of Fortran? Like, do I really want to do this again? Do I want to have this pain again? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't think I did. I, I don't think I did. I thought it was kind of interesting because it was like learning something new, right? And I think by that point, like I'd already been through undergrad and grad school, which in hindsight, like the interesting thing was, is that it did actually teach me to like, it taught me how to think, right? Like taught me how to do research, um, taught me how to write. Um, so those are all things that you need, like really with any job. I think, I mean, whether you're, you know, whether you're writing software or you're, you know, I don't know, a mechanical engineer or, um, you know, teacher. I mean, these are all like, you know, figuring out how to do something, right? Like it's like, cause you can have an idea, but then like, how do you execute on the idea? So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember having, you know, thinking about it in the same, like in the same way or the same frame of mind as like that freshman year with, with Fortran. Um, I thought it was Thinking about it now, I mean, I think I thought it was like, you know, kind of exciting, um, you know, it's learning something new. It's like, and again, like I'd just been through grad school. So it's like, oh, this is like research, you know, I can figure out. So you ended up redesigning the website and you got it published and you, and you got yep. all that done. Yep. Um, and you wanted to do more of that after that? Was that like? Yeah, I think. And then, yeah. And then, and then, and then I got into Linux um, and started, I forget how I even came across it. Um, it might've been like. Was that because you had to host these websites? I, I, that's what I would imagine. No, we actually didn't do any. You no, know, we actually didn't do any hosting. Um, like I said, by by two thousand, we like the business really wasn't going anywhere. We had tried a couple different things, and it, you know, because we, it was just the two of us, and we were realizing that, you know, okay, like there's only so much work that we can do, and so like if we wanted this to be like a long term thing, it's like we had to figure out, you know, some different strategies for how to make this like viable long term. Um, and we tried a couple different things and it, nothing really kind of stuck. And um, so we decided to move, we moved again. We've moved a lot. Um, uh, so we moved back to Ohio, we moved back to Columbus just because I had family there. And so we had, you know, again, kind of like, no, she's originally from Charleston, West Virginia. But when, when we moved back to Ohio, that's when I got like 2000. Um, so I got into, you know, somehow I picked up on, picked up Linux. I forget how, maybe I went to like, for whatever reason, maybe I was like, maybe we were building, we needed a home PC. And I think I, maybe I went to the store to like, you know, look and see what, what the prices were. What was it? But you have to get a job if you're moving back to Ohio. So what's the first job that you get now in 2000? Oh, I work. Um, the first job when I moved back was, um, I got a help desk job, uh, for a company that had, that was doing, um, what were these? Oh, it was, uh, this company called Longaburger. I don't know if you ever heard of Longaburger Baskets. So you've kind of given up on the writing at this point and you say, I'm going to stay in tech and you, and you saw this and you said, you know what, this is going to help me learn. Yeah. So I got a help test job, um, supporting this piece of software that this company had, you know, selling these baskets. Um, and then, and then from there, you know, I went from there to like, I got a different help desk job at another company and did, um, that one was probably actually more critical because there is interesting. That's where I first came across, I think, like a real like production Unix system. 
um, we had an HP 9000 um, that's running HP UX and it, that ran our financial system, you know, payroll and all that kind of stuff. But nobody wanted to touch it because it was big. You know, this was like 2000, 2001, whatever it was. The big thing was, you know, um, you know, web, you know, web stuff was being big. And so we had we actually had the majority of our small, like 10, I think we were eight, nine, 10 people um, IT department. And the majority of the people we had were uh, software engineers that were working on building um this new, they were building a new kind of billing and scheduling system. Uh, the company did uh, cabling installing, like, you know, Cat5, Voice, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was nationwide um, and ultimately ended up, I think we got bought by like Radio Shack. So we were a subsidiary of Radio Shack. But so they were, they were, you know, they were building, building this kind of like billing, time and billing system. And it was all like web based. And, and so that's what everybody, you know, that was kind of the new hotness. And so everybody wanted to focus on that. Like nobody wanted to touch the, the Unix system. I remember my manager was like the only one that knew how it worked. Um, and like I said, I'd been like kind of tinkering with Linux on the side. And so I was like, well, hey, I, you know, if you don't want to do that, I'll do that. And so that was kind of like my first, you know, real foray into, I think, like system administration. Um, and then from there, I moved on to another company um, and I was there for four years and more of like system administration. But it's the same thing you were you were working on these because at the time that was the big thing. You, uh, IBM, Sun and HP every six months were putting out the next big mini frame. I don't I remember. I've got the term we use, but I, it wasn't a mainframe. It wasn't a desktop PC. It was like this. I called it a mini. But I remember being at a healthcare company where every three months, we would change the Sybase. We would we would oh, run yeah. Sybase to yeah. run this patient system, and every like three to six months, when the next vendor came out with the bigger box, we would buy it and migrate it. So I learned IBM, HP, and Sun, and we were just yeah. A funny story about kind of along those lines is at where I was. At, I was at this company um, where where I, like I said first learned about like Unix, and we, we had an HP UX system. Um, we were doing it. We were going to upgrade the the physical hardware. I, I don't even remember what, the, but you know, we were going from like 500 megabytes of RAM to like a gig, you know, which is like, oh man, this could be awesome. Um, and we upgraded the, I think we upgraded the CPUs. Um, may have upgraded the disk. I don't remember, but but this was like a huge upgrade, right? Like it was tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and I think in the process we also did. I think we also upgraded the OS. Um, but I remember asking like before uh, before we did this. I mean like you know months leading up to this, I you know asked my boss. I was like you know I said this is the only machine we have. So like if this goes you know when we do this like if things don't work um, after the upgrade you know we're kind of like you know we're kind of like SOL because we don't have any other you know we don't have another system that we can run or we don't have like a backup or anything like that. And I remember like going on eBay at the time. You know this is like I said this was like 2001. So this was like right after the bubble burst, right? And, uh, or yeah, 2001, um, or maybe it was right before the bubble burst. At any rate, there was, there was like a major, like there was just, a, the market was like flooded with like HPUX, uh, or HP 9000s, different, you know, different, um, uh, I think you're right. I think they were called mini computers. I think they were minis. Um, but you know, there were just like hundreds of them. Right. And they were like cheap. I mean, I remember finding them for like 500 bucks and I, you know, I went to my boss and I was like, it's like, dude, we could get like for 500 bucks, like we could get the almost exact same system and we could do, we could at least do the software, up, uh, software upgrade part of this and like test it. And we're like, no, no, we can't do that. You know, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. So we did the upgrade. And of course, like after the upgrade, like we spent like the next month, like trying to fix it. I think, you know, the, the system was down for like for two weeks. 
Um, and then it was another two weeks, you know, I think we got it up, but then it was like, you know, it was still buggy. And it was, then it was another two weeks before we got things kind of stabilized. Um, but funny story was I actually ended up did, um, I actually in, did end up buying one for myself. Um, at the time it was like, cause it was one of those ones that was like 500 bucks. And my wife and I drove down to, drove down to North Carolina and brought it back in like a van. It was like, oh my God. Like, I, I mean, that was just crazy to think about that. Cause those things were like, they were tens of thousands of dollars new at the time. Oh yeah. What was tens of thousands of dollars just to do that upgrade? So yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You could get one for like 500 bucks. I remember, I'm trying to remember what company I was at, but they ended up doing that kind of like fire sale with all the, the routers and the networking equipment and everything because their business was done. It was just dump, 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 dump. Okay, so it, at that point, it's interesting because now you're working on these, these Unix machines and you're, you're providing support. Um, you know what was interesting at the same time, and I was doing some of that for the healthcare company, they, they started this on-call thing where I could take the phone home at night, I'd get an extra five hundred dollars oh, for wow. that week. Yeah, yeah. To take the phone home, right? <laughs> like we said, we'll do it, but we're going to get paid for it. And nobody wanted it, so for like almost a year, I got an extra grand or two in my pocket. And then somebody started realizing the amount of money I was making, and they all started competing for the phone. <laughs> I was like, I would get maybe three calls a week at night, maybe at most, right? Like it was easy money. But did you have to do any of that on call too? Then at that. Um, yeah, I did like the, so the company I went to, uh, I guess the third company. So it was like from 2002 to 2007. Why are you bouncing, Tim? Why you're here for a year, then you're here for a year and you're here for a year. Oh, well that was, that was, I mean, I was like starting, like it was like completely career change. Right. And so like, you know, finding like what's working. Um, and then it was also like getting better jobs, right? Like. So like by the third job, by the third switch, um, actually, actually was hired as a, a system administrator, um, for a small company in Ohio. Um, and it was, they were running Unix machines. I mean, it was, it was only a handful, right? Like half a dozen maybe. Um, but it was a mix of SCO Linux and, um, and Linux or SCO. Yeah. SCO Unix. How are you finding these jobs? Are you looking in the paper or are people coming to you? I think it was, it was probably, it was probably monster or whatever I, it was. Monster was around then. I don't remember if it was monster or something like it. It may have been like, it may have been actually at that time, it may have actually just been the job ads, but they were, you know, looking at them digitally. Were you getting phone calls from recruiters? Cause that was a big thing at the time to get a phone call from a recruiter. No, I, no, I, I, I mean, I do now, but like not, not then. So you're looking like what's interesting to me is you have this job you're learning, but you're still like looking for something, something more, something better, bigger paycheck. Yeah. I think at the time, like it was because, you know, I started out on the help desk, got a second help desk job that was like a you know better pay. And then the third job was like, you know, system administration, more responsibility, more along the lines of like what I was interested in doing. Um, and I did that for like four years. Um, and then that was where kind of also got into some programming cause I was like trying to automate things. Um, uh, and then ultimately ended up, and then ultimately after that, I ended up at Google. Um, and I was there for nine years. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. So this progression from 2000, when did you start Google? 2006, 2007, 2007. So the, the seven year progression 
um, to Google is interesting because you have a lot of these jobs and you're getting more and more responsibility as you go. What makes you decide to apply to Google? Because that's not easy to do if you don't have some sort of inside track, right? Oh, it was just a, it was just a, it was just a lark. Like I, I had no, like, I had no expectation of anything. Um, you know, I sent my resume. But was this a job you saw on a, again, on a, on a job board or you got a recruiting email? No, no, I'm sure it was, I saw it on a, no, it wasn't a recruiting email. It was, I saw it somewhere. It's like, Hey, come work at Google or something. Um, and I thought like, okay, sure. Why not? You know, what's the worst going to happen? They're never going to call me. Um, and then like a year later, it was like a year. I mean, I sent it in and forgot about it um, and just kept doing the work I was doing. Like a year later, I got an email from a recruiter at Google. And I remember my first, actually, my first thought was like, okay, this is like somebody spoofing like Google. Yeah, it's like, no, why are they? No, yeah, it's like, they're not, like, this isn't real. Like nobody's sending me an email from Google asking me if I want to apply for a job there. Um, um, so, I, you know, I let it sit for a day and then I, you know, then I kind of came back to it and I looked and it's like, okay, I looked at the, I looked at the, the phone number from the recruiter and looked up the area code. And I was like, okay, well, this, you know, it is Mountain View area code. So, okay, maybe this is real. Um, and so it just went from there. So you said, you know, I'm just going to apply and I'm not going to get it. So I'm not going to have to deal with it. But if I don't apply, I won't yeah. know. Yeah. So you apply. Yeah. The next thing you know, you're going through the interview. Now, that, how many months did it take to get through the whole interviewing process? Probably at least three. Because so I think I went out, I think I actually, I did, I remember doing phone screen. This was like late 2006, so probably October, November. And by thanks, like around Thanksgiving of that year, I actually flew out to Mountain View for an on-site interview. And that was like a whole day, like that was exhausting. And you were applying for like an SRE kind of position for one of their... Yeah, it was actually, at the time I was applying for um, like a system administration job and it was within the a team um, that at the time uh, was called SysOps. So it was more of like internal SRE. So they offer you this job, right? The money must have been pretty good. Now you have to tell your wife, we're moving to Mountain View? No, actually it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a, it was a pay cut to actually go. Really? And you still chose to move? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Yeah. Well, I mean, it was an opportunity, right? It was like, okay, like, you know, take a pay cut for some period of time and then... You know, there's obviously going to be benefits that come from that down the road. You know, it's not just a short term like, oh, OK, well, it's pay cut. I can't do that. I have to stay where I am. Um, you know, I can see I can see down the road further. It's like, OK, well, like short term, it's a pay cut. But then, like, you know, ultimately, um, you know, because it wasn't just the it wasn't just the salary either. Right. Like I was getting, you know, I was getting um, stock grants um, were part of that. Um, it was also, you know, learning. I mean, there was, you know, a huge. But you have to uproot now. You have to move again. Your wife's got to find another job again. She was, what, what was, what was she thinking? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, we talked about it. It wasn't just like I came in and I was like, oh, hey, you know, hey, we're doing this. I mean, we, you know, we had a conversation, you know, kind of, I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't an immediate decision either. You know, we kind of went back and forth. It's like, do we want to do this? Um I should say the other, I mean, the other piece of that is that we weren't actually moving to California. We actually, the, the team that I was, that I was going to, that I accepted the position for was going to be in Atlanta. Um, and that was, a, that was actually a decision too, because I could have, we, we could have gone to California, but given the pay cut, it was like, yeah, okay, we can't make that happen. Like California's just crazy expensive. Like there's just no way. Um, so, you know, 
we decided, okay, well, if we're going to do this, like Atlanta makes sense. So, you know, we started thinking through, you know, just kind of like, what are the pieces there? Um, and, you know, ultimately we just decided like, yeah, okay, well, this makes, you know, this makes sense. Atlanta is a completely different city. You haven't lived in a city like Atlanta yet at that point, right? I mean, this is also a big change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we not, no, neither one of us had, but we, you know, we, we, I mean, we're kind of nomadic, I guess, in some ways. I mean, we've, you know, we moved a lot, even, um, I mean, we've been, we're now, we've now been in the same, well, I mean, we've lived in New Jersey now for 10 years. We've been in the same house for six years. I'll send some boxes for you because I think it's time. <laughs> <laughs> so I find it interesting that your wife, I'm sure she started having a career again there. So she's, she's uprooting her career too, right? Well, she went back to grad school. She went back to school too. Um, she, or, well, too. I mean, she went back to school in 2009. Um, she's actually finishing up now. Um, she's working on her dissertation um, in history of, si uh, history of science and technology. So she's going to have a PhD. Yeah. Very she, does, she actually does want to teach, um, like at the college level. Um, All right. So in 2007, you moved to Atlanta to take this job at Google. You're still at Google today? Nope. I left in 2016. So I was there for nine years. Yeah. And I imagine over those nine years, you moved a lot around and inside of Google did you, and eventually you got into Borg or something, you got into orchestration, you got into like, where did, where did all that learning kind of go to? So it's kind of interesting. I actually didn't move around teams very much, um, which was, I mean, hindsight was a mistake, um, but it was, but it was still interesting though. Like my first team, um, I worked on uh, something called, uh, or I worked on the team that built this system called Gennetti. Um, and it was actually, we used it, it was internally, it was basically a big Python wrapper around Zen, uh, the virtualization, um, hypervisor. So we were building, I think, so I joined in 2007, I think it was 2005, 2006. They'd already built the, um, there's a team in Zurich that had already built kind of initial version of this. And we were using it to, um, you know, to virtualize, um, uh, virtualize physical machines because we had internally, you know, we had a bunch of teams that needed, um, you know, like, especially in, for internal stuff, like people weren't running their, their applications, their services on Borg. Um, people were still getting, like, they were requesting physical machines and like, Hey, I need three machines to run, you know, to run my service. Like, can you put, can you, you know, rack these in the data center for me and tell me what the, you know, what's the IP and the login and all this kind of stuff. And so, so my team um, was responsible for kind of building out this internal system to virtualize all of that. So people started, you know, could use for, uh, VMs instead of requesting physical machines. And so there's kind of two pieces of that, right? This was like we had um, we had like the developer team that was in Zurich that was actually writing the code. Um, like I said, it was like, you know, effectively it was a big Python wrapper around Zen. Um, and then there was the, you know, the operations or kind of the, more traditional like SRE team um, where we were actually like responsible for the operational side of it. Like, you know, we were like, um, you know, provisioning and building the clusters, you know, the physical machines, getting them racked, cable labeled. Um, and then, you know, you know, figuring out what tools do we need to like, you know, install the OS, bring, you know, install Gennetti, bring everything up. And then, you know, how do we, how do we manage provisioning, it's like, great, we've got this, but now how do we provision this? Yeah, it's a big logistical 
There's a lot of logistics, and the more you can automate that, the better yeah. for everybody, right? Yeah, that's a big job. That was, that was I think, probably my first introduction into, to like, you know, I mean, it wasn't technically an orchestration system like Borg would be or like Kubernetes or, or Nomad or anything like that. But it was, it was, it was a similar problem space though, right? It's like, you know, how do you, you know, okay, like, you know, user X comes and says they need five machine, you know, five VMs, like, okay, well, where do you, where do you put them? Uh, so it was similar. It was similar. And I didn't, while I didn't write the code uh, for Gennetti, um, I mean, I, you know, I had access to it. I mean, I, I looked at the, you know, I looked at the code. I think I made it like a, you know, small, like, one line or something commit to it but you know i was fascinated by just you know how to you know again kind of like how does this like how does this work um you know what are the different pieces for this um and then you know eventually um you know i was involved with like writing tooling to uh to help us automate you know some of the provisioning stuff um ultimately worked on a couple different iterations of that with other folks and we were running, so we were building our tools, right? And like we were automating this stuff, but we were running, we were running, you know, the tooling and the automation we were running to like provision the, the, the VMs was also running on the same, you know, they were VMs and running on VMs themselves on the same clusters. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but then eventually um, we had somebody that, that joined our team from, uh, that was, had worked on the operational side and the, on the production side of things. Um, and as we were kind of rewriting the, 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 the next version of the tooling, um, he was like, you know, Hey, we're going to run this on Borg because then we don't have to deal with all the, you know, we don't have to deal with all this like VM stuff and provisioning. And, you know, for our service, like we don't, we don't need to do that. And I remember that like, it was just a light bulb because when we, when we made that change and we started running, we started running our tooling, um, and our service on Borg, it was like, Oh my God, this is so much easier to like, you know, there's like a whole layer of stuff that we now don't have to think about. You were almost rewriting your own version, a simpler version of Borg. I mean, it sounds like almost. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I mean, almost. Borg does a lot more than that, but but at least the layer one of the layer one of this orchestration is all about the provisioning, right? Of, right. Right. Give me some compute power. Now, how do we leverage it? So I feel like you were kind of almost writing a small version of that. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I wasn't the one, you know, I wasn't the one actually writing that code, but, you know, I worked on the team that did the operational side of it and, you know, definitely had exposure to, you know, to the conversations that we had around that, um, which was, you know. So what happens in, in 16? Now you've done nine years here. What happens in? Just decided it was time to leave. I mean, it was, you know, you know, when you're there, you're only working on Google stuff, right? Or, or you're only using like every everything is built up. I, I mean, maybe it's changed you know, since then, but like at the time, it's like you know, you're only working with like Google Tech, right? Like everything's everything's written in house. Um, you know, you're not, you know, you're not using like for the most part. Um, you know, you're not working with like other like open source stuff that like. So you feel like you're falling behind a little bit on what's happening in the industry if you're locked in this box. Um, yeah, I guess that's a good, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Right. Like if, you know, if I, you know, realizing like, Hey, if I wanted to like, you know, work somewhere else eventually, it's like, you know, um, and that did happen. I mean, I, you know, I remember interviewing and like places asking like, okay, well, Hey, are you familiar with this or that? And I'm like, no, you know, it's like, this is how, you know, I can explain to you what we've done, you know, the projects that I worked on at Google and how we do things. But, you know, yeah, if you ask me, like, if you're familiar with, I'm just making stuff up, but I don't know. Um, you know, are you familiar with, I can't even think of what it would have been at the time, but like, well, even at the time at 2016, I think HashiCorp's already got some versions of Terraform and stuff out by then. Nomad, 
both Chef and Puppet and, and other things that maybe, I don't know what year these, these, this tooling came out, but I can see what you're saying, right? They're, they're trying to use what's available and you're like, no, I don't get to use that, right? I don't get to use this. I don't get to do that. You know, it's just kind of a, I mean, I don't know. Again, I think, you know, kind of like personally, like I said, my wife and I kind of are nomads, I think, and probably like professionally, there's a little bit of like nomadism that kind of bleeds over into that too, of just being interested in different things and like, you know, wanting to do, um, yeah, I don't know, just do different things, different challenges. So what job do you take in 16? Who hires you out of Google in 2016? Um, 2016, I joined a small uh, company that was doing, um, uh, what were we doing? It was kind of like a, like customer management, like CMS for um, financial advisors. Um, and that's in Atlanta? No, that was in, that was here. Cause I, 2012, I moved to, um, relocated to the New Jersey area. Um, because my, my team, my team did some reorganization and we, um, we were kind of spread all over the place. And so we consolidated on, on the New York and Zurich offices. So you moved to New Jersey, but you had to go to the Chelsea office or something yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now you're in New Jersey. Is this new job again more operational? Or are you doing more programming? What was the why this job? Yeah, it was operational. It was, I think it was just the you know the first step of like leaving Google. It's like I I I didn't want to draw it out um, and like you know it's like oh look for the perfect like oh I need the perfect one. I mean I kind of figured like okay, you know it might take a while to find like a you know a company a job that like was a good fit after being at some place for so long. Um, so I decided, you know, it's like, okay, well, you gotta take a first step, you gotta start somewhere. Um, uh, but having Google on your resume is pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, you walk into an interview and you say, I've been at Google for 10 years, everybody's a little bit in awe, right? Like, I still meet Google engineers and I'm always like, you know, that's, I think it's impressive just because of what, what it takes to get in there, right? Yeah, yeah, I think there's, you know, it definitely, I mean, def obviously doesn't hurt, right? It's definitely helpful. Um, and it certainly is like getting a foot in the door. But yeah, I, I would say the first company was like, it was it was a first step, right? Like, okay, I've got to start somewhere. Like, let's do this. I was, I was also going to be the only person that was like, you know, SRE slash, well, I guess at the time, I guess, you know, DevOps kind of, that term kind of got gained, um, gained some momentum. And so I think the role was actually, it might've actually been DevOps. But you're the only one, so you had an opportunity to kind of architect yeah. and yeah. design how things were going to be basically managed and production was going to be managed and all of that. So, But that was, yeah, that was an interesting experience, though, just because um, uh, it was interesting because it didn't go how I thought it was going to go, I guess is the way to say it. Like, you know, I, you know, I'm coming in from Google and I'm like, oh, this is the way we did things there, especially I think on the SRE side where things were pretty, how do I say it? I want to say rigorous, but I don't know. That sounds kind of arrogant, but I think intense. I, I would I would think it was intense at Google, right? Because of scale. Yeah, SRE. I mean, you know, operations were taken seriously, right? And that, not to say that other people don't, but it's like it was there. There was there's definitely a rigor to it, right? It was like you were on, you were you were regularly on call. There was a process for you know at least the teams I were on, and and I have a feeling you know like given the people that I talked to, I mean, like this was this was kind of the norm, like you know. It was taken seriously, and I think it's fair, right? Like, it, that was taken seriously. That's fair. Right. It's like you were on call. You had, you know, there were certain things you did. You were responsible for things. You 
you know, when there were incidents, you know, you wrote postmortems, um, you know, and that's not to say that everything was perfect, but, you know, there was, there was certainly a, you know, there was a rigor, there was a, you know, a way that we did that. Um, and you, you know, that kind of gets ingrained in you. Um, and so, you know, I remember being at this company for, God, I want to say it was only like a couple weeks, maybe even, maybe not even like maybe a month. I don't know, but we had all these problems. I remember one day like coming in and, you know, we were talking about and we were you know kind of just shooting the shit and complaining about like, oh, we've got all these problems. And I said like, okay, well, let's like, let's enumerate the problems. Like, let's just, you know, we were sitting right behind a whiteboard. It's like, let's just list them out. And I think in a matter of like minutes, we had like, we listed like 10 things. And, and I said like, okay, like, like, you know, look at what we just did in a matter of minutes. Like, this is a problem. Like we, we need to address this. And I was like, you know, okay. Like when we had something like this to Google, like we would have, you know, we had this thing called like, you know, I think it was like, I forget what code yellow and code reds. It was basically like in a way to say like, okay, Hey, you know, the situation's like untenable. We can't keep going forward like this. So we're going to stop, you know, the idea would be like, you'd stop, um, you know, depending on what, depending on what service you were working on, you, you might, you might like, if it was a code yellow, you might like, freeze, um, uh, you know, new features, you know, no new feature work because we're going to work on fixing the bugs and fixing, you know, operational problems or resource problems or whatever with the existing system until we get, you know, until we meet some criteria, right? Like, again, depending on what the service was, it might be like, um, you know, it might be like there are, I'm making this up, but like, you know, there, there are no like. Yeah. You're, you're labeling things as critical. Everything stops yellow everything new stops, whatever the next color is. So, because if not, you, you don't set the right expectations. Right, right. So, you know, so I remember, you know, again, like I'd been, I'd been here, you know, and, and we were only like 10 engineers, but, you know, we, we took a couple minutes, we listed out, you know, what problems we thought we were, we were experiencing. We had like 10, maybe a little bit more than 10. I'm like, okay, like at Google, we would have done, you know, we would, we probably would have called this like a code yellow and we would have stopped, you know, new, new feature work and we would have fixed these. Um, so I tried doing that and it kind of worked for like a couple weeks, maybe a month where, you know, cause we, we'd actually identify a few things and we, you know, we did like, did do some like focused work on like fixing a few things, but then it's kind of like the nature of those things, right? Like they, they do kind of take a little bit longer because these aren't, I mean, they're typically not like easy fixes because if they were easy fixes, you would have already done them most likely. Um, you know, it was stuff that took you know, probably took some research, you know, you'd have to figure out like, okay, this thing is happening. Why is this happening? When is it happening? You know, what are the potential, you know, what could potentially be causing this? And they want to move the business forward because they can't stack, right? That's, that's the thing, the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a startup. And so it's like, okay, well, we can't, you know, can't completely like freeze like new work or fee freeze feature work because it's like, well, that's, you know, we're startup. Like we need, you know, you could do that week every six weeks. You might be able to get a week where we freeze, but you're never going to be able right. to like stop everything for two months. And because they allowed it to progress the moment they saw it, now it becomes untenable. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Yeah. So that was, you know, that's kind of an interesting experience, you know, again, kind of being, I mean, in some ways it's kind of like coming out of school, right? You're coming out of school and you've like, you know, you have these ideas. It's like you've been trained. It's like, oh, this is what happened in this situation. But then it's like, you know, you go into the kind of quote, the real world and it's like, oh, that doesn't, you know, they're, they're different, you know, in reality. There's different goals and realities. Yeah. 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 Revenue is important here. You know, you don't have a printing machine in the back where. Right, right, right. When you're, yeah, it's like Google's like, yeah, it's like, you know, we've got more money than like, you know, most like, you know, most countries put together. So like, 
you know, revenue's got to come in or nobody's getting paid and there's a constant balance. So you leave this job now, which 2016, you leave there in like maybe a year later, 2017. Yeah. We're now in 22. So there's five years. We got like 15 minutes left to cover the next five years here. So what happens after that? Is it just another type of job like this, another type of company? Like what's, what's going on between then and where you are now? Yeah, I hopped around a little bit. Actually, the next company after that I really liked. It was um, we're doing DNS, uh, kind of DNS as a service. Um, I that I actually the people I, that I worked with there I really enjoyed. Um, that was just a burnout situation, like straight up. Like, you know, we, it was a small. I was on a small DevOps team, SRE team, and on call was like super intense. And because it was three of us, you know, we were on call like every three weeks, and so yeah, that was just kind of, that was a burnout situation. So I hopped around a little bit there. Uh, from there. And then like I've ended, I ended up at Boltus. Like I started Boltus a year ago. See, I don't want your job because I did because of the on call, at least back in the nineties, I was getting paid extra to be on call those hours. But I said that to somebody a couple of years ago and they, they thought I had two heads. Like, what do you mean you got extra money for that? I'm like, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, I think depending on where you are, different companies have different takes on that. Like we're, we're working on, because the team I'm on now is like, we're building, you know, we're building the, the infrastructure team uh, from scratch, right? Like it was, you know, cause it's startup, right? Like when I started, um, there was the only person that worked on infrastructure or really kind of gave it like much thought um, was my boss, uh, who's the director of engineering. Uh, and so I was, you know, I came in, I was the first person, you know, more or less the first person I was working mostly on infrastructure. We've hired two more people since. And so we're, you know, we're looking at on call, how we organize that. And, you know, the, the pay issue is something that, that that's coming up. Um, and I will say our company is actually, I feel like our company is like, we're really good about like thinking about the employee and making sure, you know, like thinking about things like, you know, we don't want to burn people out. We want people to be happy. You know, we want, you know, we have these, you know, as a business, we need, you know, obviously we need to, we need the business to be up and running so we can make rent money. But, you know, we also, you know, we also value our employees. We value our teammates. Um, so we're having that conversation. Um, you know, going back to Google, Google, we got paid for for on-call. Um, that was like not a question that um, it was just standard. Um, but every place I've been in between, there's been kind of this like, you know, it's been back and forth, right? Like some places would pay you, some, you know, wouldn't. Um, it just kind of depended on the, the company and the culture. Um, so, so where you are now, uh, I want to get back to orchestra. I want to take the next 15 minutes to talk about orchestration and the book you're writing and all that. You're using, you've chosen to use Nomad um, where you are right now or Kubernetes. Like what, what orchestration? Yeah, we're using Nomad. Um, this is the second place that I've worked at where we've used Nomad. Um, I've used, I've been a place. Do you run your own data centers or are you still running in the cloud? No, we're on, no, we're running on AWS. You're on, so you're on AWS, but instead of using Kubernetes, managed Kubernetes services there, you're still getting your own machines or VMs, however you're doing that. Yeah, we just run everything on VMs. Uh, well, we run the cluster on the on VMs, yeah. And you're using Nomad as your orchestration system for that. Yeah, this is the second place, second company I've done, I've been at where we've done that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I did, that wasn't my decision. It was already, we'd already, when I got here, we'd already, ha- you know, Nomad was already in place. I will say, I mean, I have a feeling I know where you're going with this, but um, I think as far as like, you know, making that decision, is that where you're going? I I, I think it's, 
if we could just spend two minutes here, right? Because we have this entire industry that I think is feeling peer pressure. Oh, for sure. To run on Kubernetes. Oh, for sure. It's totally, yeah, it's totally. Um, and I teach Kubernetes. I think there's some interesting, I think you need some form of orchestration yep. for any production system, yep. right? Some form of it, which could be as much as a script deploying things, okay? So, but there's definitely peer pressure to use Kubernetes, if you, especially if you're going to run in the cloud. And you're not, right? You're, you're using Nomad in the cloud. And so I just, I think for two minutes, it would be kind of interesting to get some sense of, if you could answer this question, where you feel Nomad is potentially better or, I don't know. I don't know what the question I want to ask. Yeah, no, I, I, know, where you, no, I, know, where, I, I know where you're coming from. Right? I've this. actually been thinking a lot about this, especially with writing the book with, you know, and even before that, um, just given, I think my, you know, my work history, it's kind of something I've been thinking about for a while in various forms. Um, but no, I think, you know, it's all a matter, it all comes back to what are you, you know, what are you trying to accomplish, right? Like that's, you know, in different businesses, different teams are going to have different answers to that question. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to this. this and this is a problem I have with like, I think the whole Kubernetes thing is where it, like, like as an industry, I think, folks are trying to make it be one size fits all where it's like, oh, well, you know, if you need to choose an orchestration system like Kubernetes, that's the only option. And I've, I've been at shops where we've had, I've, I've worked with both, right? The nice, th I will say the nice thing about Nomad is its simplicity, right? And that's the whole, you know, that's kind of what, ha I mean, that's that's like Har HashiCorp's like marketing around it too, right? Is it's like simple, um, you know, it's a single binary. Um, it's pretty straightforward to reason about. Um, uh, you know, the, if you contrast it with Kubernetes, like the other day, for example, I went through this exercise where it was like, okay, I haven't touched Kubernetes in a couple of years. Let me install it locally, try to get it up and running. Let's just see what, let's just see, you know, what's involved with that. And I think it was like, I don't remember the exact number of steps. I think I followed this, I followed this, like somebody's blog and I think they had it listed as like four steps, but actually like within each step, there was like, you know, multiple like sub steps. Um, and it was also, you know, even before, like, even before, like, even just installing it, it was like, you had like four, I think there were four different ways to like, to run it locally, right? Like you could run Minikube, you could install it. I use Kind. Oh, that was, yeah, right? that was the Kubernetes other one. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's Kind, there's Minikube. Kubernetes in a container. Yeah. Um, I feel like there were two other things and I can, I don't remember what they are. I'm at. But that's like local development stuff, right? Which is great, but production's a whole nother world, right? But, well, right, this is just my point is just that, like, even just to do something, like, to do the simplest possible thing, right? Like, to run it locally on my machine just so I could, if I wanted to do, like, local development, figure out how I would deploy my thing to, like, Kubernetes or some orchestration system. Like, it was, like, multiple steps. Like, and step one, step zero, actually, is even how, you know, I have to pick between, like, Kind, Minikube, and, like I said, there were either three or two other ones that I don't remember. Um, so I have to make that decision. Um, and then within each one, it's like, you know, I've got mul there are multiple tools that, you know, I could use kubectl, I can use kubectx to change context. There's the complication around. There's a learning curve, right? Yeah. The way I see it is, I don't care what your Kubernetes environment is. Just let's, from my world, I always look at it from a developer perspective. Just give, point me to a Kubernetes environment, and then everything should be kube control from there, right? Like, it shouldn't matter, right? Um, from a development point of view, but you're right. Yeah, it's... I mean, there's two sides there, right? Like, there's the developer side, which, regardless of whether you're using Kubernetes or Nomad or or anything else, right? It's like, I mean, really, if you boil down to it, it's like I want to, as a developer, right? Like, I want to build my code, I want to test my code, and I want to deploy my code. Like, 
you know, at a certain point, it's like, how much, you know, how much do I need to know about the underlying? You need to understand the semantics of the production system. Right. That's where I've gotten yeah. to. And yeah. you need to know what the handoff is, right? Which it, today it seems to be a Docker, Docker file at the end of the day. What happens on the other side after I give it to you? Uh, I don't really know, right? Or even a Kubernetes file. But okay, so let me, let me, I'm gonna take this last 10 minutes. So how long, has, how long have you been writing this book and what made you decide that you wanted to write a Go book with a focus on orchestration? And third question there, are you literally building kind of an, an orchestration, a, a semantically correct or something orchestration system from scratch or are you leveraging something that's already out there? It's not out yet, right? Or is it out? No, no, it's in MEEP format. So the, what is it, Manning Early Access Program. So I've been working on it probably for a year. Um, I actually started working on the project, like I think it was summer, July two, 2020. So it was kind of, it was like my COVID project. Like, um, like oh, I don't have to commute anymore. Um, I have all this extra time. Well, I have some extra time. Like, what do I want to do with it? And so, um, you know, it's kind of like, it's mostly about like, hey, I want to, you know, I've always had this idea of like, it would be nice to like, you know, kind of learn, like kind of figure out like at a deeper, like more fundamental level, like how, how things work, right? And in particular, like, okay, well, how would, you know, I always thought Borg was fascinating, right? I was always, it's like, I didn't work on Borg team. I didn't write, you know, but it was like, oh, man, that was just, I mean, I remember as a user being like, just fascinated. Um, it's like, okay, well, if I were going to, if I'm going to write that myself, like, how would I do it? Like, what's involved with that? Um, so that started in July of 2020. And then, and, and it is writing it and, and I did write it from scratch, right? Like, I think, um, the whole, my whole goal was really to like, not, you know, I didn't want to like, you know, didn't want to like depend on like, have it just be a wrapper around Kubernetes or wrap around Nomad or Mesos or any of the other stuff. Um, so it was, you know, basically breaking it down into like, okay, well, what are the, you know, what are the core components? Okay. We're talking about like, you know, we're talking about some kind of worker that, you know, actually is responsible for like running you know, Docker containers in some kind of orchestrated fashion. There's a manager that, you know, manages those workers because you know, you're probably going to have more than one. Um, and then, you know, the idea of like jobs and tasks. Um, and then ultimately I ended up, you know, actually, you know, writing some like CLI tooling to, to actually control each of those. And then you're kind of walking through the code in the book that you've written. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't start with the idea of writing the book that came later. Um, the idea, I think, I think ultimately I was inspired by, I don't know if you've read Thorsten Ball's um, books about uh, writing an interpreter. I'd read, I'd, I'd gone through the writing an interpreter and go, um, and I thought that was a, I just thought that was like a really awesome idea. It's like, oh yeah, this is like a perfect, especially for me, it's like, that's, I mean, that's how I learned. It's like, you know, learn by doing kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, so what was the other, like second and third question? So uh, now, now the question that I have is, um, would you leverage any of this code for a, uh, an environment you're working in? Like people copy and paste everything they see and they leverage. So when I'm teaching, when I'm writing code that's going to be used for teaching, I have to make sure the code is accurate in terms of the semantics that I'm trying to provide, right? So I can imagine somebody's going to go through your book, they're going to have this code and they're going to want to use it to orchestrate their own environment. I, I mean, I, I try to be very clear about this up front, right? Like we're not like this is the, the exercise here is not to like rewrite Kubernetes or Nomad or Borg or anything, right? Like that's not the goal. Like if you, if that's your goal, like, you know, this is, you know, there, there's, 
other resources or that's a that's a wholly different topic right like what we're trying to do here what i'm trying to do is like basically like share what i like what you know kind of my what my interest was in my like learning and understanding about like you know boiling these things because again like like we were just talking about a minute ago right like kubernetes is a huge thing like kubernetes is like very complex and i think it's easy especially like as an industry where we're like um you know where there's the pension for like you know marketing terms and buzzwords and things like that that just actually confuse things and don't actually help us understand you know what 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 are the pieces of like kubernetes or nomad or borg like because if you boil them down like they're they're they really are i mean across all of these different systems right they're fundamental they're fundamental um components that that exist in all of them yeah the behavior that they're trying to implement is the same they're trying to solve the same problem but they think they have a better way of doing it right like that's everything right yeah right Right. So it's like what, you know, it's like a car, right? Like a car. It's like, okay, there's an engine, there's a steering wheel. You have, you know, four plus wheels, two wheels, if it's a motorcycle, whatever. But like, right, these are like fundamental components. It's not like, um, you know, so so that's what the book's doing, right? It's, it's like we're breaking this down. Like what are, you know, identifying what these components are. So here's the problem. And here's a simpler implementation that solves it to give your brain the semantics on how Nomad or Kubernetes, forget about implementation, that changes. But I love these types of books. I'm, I'm reading one now for blockchain stuff where I'm reading, I use the book to help me identify what the problem is and then I try to solve it myself. I don't necessarily look at their code. I, I, I say, okay, I'm gonna solve that problem, right? Sometimes just breaking down the problem is enough because now when I'm Looking at Ethereum stuff, I understand all the content now that I'm reading. A month ago, I didn't. Now I do because of that project. So I love that. I think if you're an ops engineer and you don't have a full understanding of how things are going to behave, this book is probably golden for that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the hope, right? Like, again, the goal is not to, like, you know, my goal is not. I mean, because I could, you know, I could have said, like, oh, hey, I'm going to write, you know, I think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm going to write something that'll replace Kubernetes. It's like that's not the that's not the goal, right? Like it's it's mostly it's about understanding. And you're writing again. Is that nice? You're you're leveraging all your education. Technical writing is different. It is. It is. Yes. And that's been an interesting part of this process too. Is like because I think like and working with Mandy, you know, they have a very you know they're, they have a very like kind of like strict format about you know how how the book should be written, um, and so. Like that, and that doesn't fit my brain very well, um, and in large part just given my background. The big thing that I learned at Manning was I used to get beat up on the why. You say something, and the next comment was why. I'm like, I'm going to get there. No, 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 no. I want to know why now, right? So technical writing is incredibly hard because there's no context. It's not, you're not there to fill in gaps. So they're pretty good there at the editing side of that. Yeah, that part I think is good, right? Because I think that is important to ask why, because it's like, you know, you go back and you're like, okay, is this just filler? Am I like, does this really belong here? Like, is this even like, does this even help anything? So I think, I think that part's good. I think that the challenging thing has been like, you know, trying to come up with like an outline, excuse me, like an outline ahead of time, right? Like you do the, the chapter plan. And so you're kind of like more or less your outline. Yeah, but that can change a little bit. I, mine, mine's changed over time. Yeah, mine's changed a lot over time, you know, because it's like, and it's, you know, so it's like always that balance between like, okay, well, you know, I do need to, you know, I'm trying to make progress on this and I want to move forward. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, 
you learn new things along the way, even in the process of writing the book, right? Well, you got to finish the book. So I, I give kudos to anybody who has a book that ends up being printed because it is, it's, yeah. you're already experiencing it, right? It's a huge task. I actually, I have like post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> on books at this point. But I just finished the second one and my brain goes, now I want to do a third one. And my brain said, no, not yet. Yeah. We're not ready for yeah, that. Yeah. You, need, you need some more time uh, it's, off. It's stressful. A lot more time off. So I'm really impressed with anybody who's writing a book. And you've been already at it for years, so you kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. It's a massive challenge. But it's so rewarding when you finally, when you finally get that thing done. Yeah. I think I'm getting into a point now, too, where it's kind of like, you know, like a getting into a flow where it's like, I feel better about it now than I probably did, like, I don't know, three, four months ago. I think three, four months ago, it's kind of like, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? Um, you know, is this, did, I, did I make a did I make a bad decision? But, you know, I think over the last two, three months, two months for sure, you know, things have kind of kind of gotten into a flow. And it's like definitely, definitely feel good about it and, and enjoying it. Brilliant. Okay, we are unfortunately out of time, Tim. I, we could, I could talk to every guest for hours. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We've all got, we've all got stuff to do, right? But I love the story. Um, I love kind of, I love where you are now. I love that you're working on this book. I, I love that it's not a general go book. We, we've got enough of those. So anything that's really more specific is, at least in my opinion, better. Okay, so Tim, if anybody wants to reach out to you after listening to the show, um, what's the best way for somebody to, to ping you? Um, probably right now would be email. Um, I try to do Twitter, but man, I'm just, I'm horrible at Twitter. It's like, I just don't follow it. Um, but yeah, probably um, email uh, me at timboring.com. Brilliant. We'll get that in the show notes too. All right, Tim, I really appreciate all your, your time today. Thank you very much. And let us know when that book is finally out of meat so we can... Uh, we can push it over at Arden too. You know, share it with everybody. You know, let everybody know it's 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 available. Great. Thanks for having me, Bill. I really appreciate it. So this is Bill Kennedy signing off here with Tim. Thank you for sharing your time with us and hope to see everybody again real soon. Mm -hmm.